welcome again our listeners. So thanks for tuning in. Uh, my name is Shreya Chavastav and I will be the host for the podcast. Um, a little background about myself before I start off. So I currently work as a customer success manager with Portfix. And I have been fortunate enough to have got a chance to work with the different enterprises, interact with the people from different regions. And I think I have been closely working with the leaders across the globe from our HR, L&D and sales space. So I think I've been lucky enough there and my work typically would be to kind of strategize the business outcomes and help customers get the ROI. So I think that was uh, pretty much about myself, uh, not to steal the show away from a main speaker. Uh, we have a very interesting topic today with extremely talented guests. Now uh, we are going to discuss about the COVID-19 impact remote work and digitally mediated communication. We thought about this topic and uh, the guest, we couldn't have thought anyone better who has a vast knowledge about literature and of course about the digital learning uh, communication. Not to really uh, keep you guys waiting, uh, I would like to call upon Robert and let's say for the main man himself. So Robert, over to you. Uh, I would like you to kind of uh, introduce yourself to the audience before we take, before we kickstart. Uh, sure, of course. Uh, so my name is, is Robert Sabo. Um, I'm a South African by birth. I live in uh, Bergisch Gladbach, which is near Cologne in Germany. Uh, my background is in uh, adult education with a focus on applied linguistics, uh, so language acquisition. And I work at a company called Learnship, and we do uh, corporate training uh, for, for business communication and intercultural uh, skills. That was super exciting. Thank you so much, Robert. Uh, I... Anyhow, I believe that uh, it's like there is a lot to learn from you. And uh, the topic for today is really interesting. So it's something like top three hacks to transform your organization's learning experience. And uh, it's none other than Robert who's going to talk about those hacks. And I have a few questions for him. So before we go into detail, let's start like just setting the base right. So let's start with the basics and clean up the air. So Robert, I have a question for you. So could you please... Tell me some of the tips that you would like to share for the younger souls who have recently joined the industry in L&D space. I know a bit tricky one, but then I think that will include uh, the majority of people who are there. Yeah, well, I think the you know the most important one is obviously um, to keep up with the uh, technological development, which is really moving at a, a more rapid pace than it ever has. Yeah. And I think, you know, you mentioned the COVID pandemic, but I mean, that had a big impact. You, you've got a lot of people now working in uh, remote teams, they, they may never have met each other physically. Young people need to be aware that the, the skills that are required by employers these days are, are changing. Mm -hmm. And communication skills are just really, really important to be effective in, in this new way of work. So I think, yeah, to be aware of the technology and to be aware of their own uh, strengths and weaknesses in, in, in terms of skills. That was really insightful. I, I think I have a lot for you. And uh, for the younger souls, I think uh, that's something even I have struggled during my initial uh, space when I came into the corporate. And I'm pretty sure in the learning and development space, we definitely have a lot to hear from you. Uh, moving on, I have one more question for you. So I see you often talking about the different topics every week on LinkedIn and uh, one such kind of caught my attention. So you referred about how people often have difficulty in learning. So it just amused me the most when you related to gamification. So that's exciting. So can you share any of the real-time examples uh, on what helped a company kind of transform its employees uh, for the learning experience? You can share your experience. Yeah, of course. I, you know, that video, um, what, what I was talking about there, yeah. is that sometimes people believe mm -hmm. when they're designing courses for, for corporate learners um, that they should make things very, very easy 
so that people stay engaged because they think that people just want to collect the points or whatever it is through that sort of shallow, what I, I would call a shallow gamification, which is a bit like your, your cell phone buzzing and getting little candy crush points, you know, and trying to apply that mechanism to, to serious learning. And what I argue in that video is that's not the way I would do it. That's, uh, and I refer to a, a computer game that was released uh, this year uh, called Elden Ring uh, by a Japanese studio, uh, FromSoft. And that is a really difficult game. It, it's, it's incredibly difficult. You die all the time. You have to keep doing the levels. But it's yeah. really popular. And what I was talking about is appealing to learners as adults, as intelligent people, creating a set of challenges for them and engaging them in the sense of, of laying down the gauntlet and saying, look, this, this is tough, but this is meaningful. Uh, and mm -hmm. for me, as, as, a, as a course designer, that is the way to go. So, yeah, that's what I was talking about. That was really exciting and I was very curious when I was reading that uh, and I was hearing to, you know, uh, whatever video you added and I was like, that's super exciting. So uh, I think that was uh, very much I had from a very high level. Now I have some more questions for you and let's get deeper into uh, our conversation. So uh, I know that you wrote a journal lately, right? And I think during the COVID, you had a lot of things that you published across. So Again, coming back to the COVID. So how do you feel COVID had a bigger impact in changing the mindset of the people uh, learning in a traditional way? Because I think everyone, including me, I think we were so much used to going to office. And even uh, even if I talk about the college grads, right, they were very much going to the college, having those uh, in-classroom trainings, whatever was given. So what were the key challenges you discovered uh, when you wrote this particular journal? Yeah, well, you know, that was a, um, a massive shock for the world. Uh, wherever you live, uh, whether you're in India, South Africa, um, and Europe, and Asia, it was a truly global shock, yeah. and it, it happened relatively without warning. Um, in that particular paper that you refer to, I was talking about the impact of the, the pandemic on the corporate learning and development um, uh, industry, and I, I compare it in the paper to as big a historical event as um, the Second World War and women joining the workforce, for example. Yeah. So there are sometimes these things that happen to humanity um, that create changes that don't go away. And, and I think the impact of COVID-19 is visible in the sense that I think remote work's not going anywhere now. So I think it, it became anchored as a viable um, way of doing things uh, for companies. Uh, and in fact, you hear about companies now reducing office space. You know, they, they're actually um, enforcing remote work policies in yeah. certain cases because they're controlling costs. Because uh, the way that cities had been planned, right, mm -hmm. uh, meant that the real estate costs were enormous for city center um, uh, office space. So there's all these sort of knock-on effects. But that was one point that I made in the paper is that you get these historical events. They result in anchoring certain phenomenon, a phenomena which, which don't go away. That was the, the first one. I think with regard to learning, it was proved that remote learning works. Uh, and it was a huge debate, obviously. And, and what you find is that there are different opinions. So I know that in the higher education space, most teachers want to go back to the uh, on-site traditional model because they know it. But many of the learners want a hybrid approach now. Yeah. So you've got a different generation developing its own view of, of what they think um, uh, the future should be. And of course, these people will be the decision makers and managers going forward. If they're 25 now, they will be 35, 45 going forward. And and that will be the shape of things. So I think this digital pedagogy got a big uh, shot in the arm. Mm -hmm. And on LinkedIn, I'm, I'm quite active there. And I, I follow a lot of people who are involved in the digital transformation of universities uh, programs. Mm -hmm. And there are more and more jobs and more and more serious jobs, strategic jobs being created yeah. in that space. So digital um, curriculum 
creation and, and the digital transformation of university offerings. So I think that's not going anywhere, and this is directly attributable to the, the pandemic. That was uh, really great to hear from you, Robert, because uh, I think even when we started off with the uh, work from home, we all were skeptical, right? How we are going to actually cope up not going to office. And it, it was also a lot to do with the trust, right? Uh, how would a manager's yeah. trust be working? So when I actually uh, went through your journal, I was really impressed how nicely you articulated things. And it was really, really insightful. Thank you. Okay, so moving on. Uh, so again, I think communication has been one of the major aspects when you talk about, right? So when you talk about communication, how would you cope up learning and facilitate the communication between two people in the organization who doesn't have any languages in common? And I think I also categorize myself in that place because I also am someone who doesn't know a lot of languages, right? So how would you facilitate communication between those two people who have nothing in common, no languages in common, and still you would like to derive an effective interaction or communication out of that, right? So let's say they are working from two different regions across the globe. So how would you do that? And what are your tips and tricks for facilitating communication between the two? Yeah. No, I mean, that's an excellent question. I, I Fortunately, it doesn't happen very often that there's no language in common at all. Yeah. Um, what, what we have seen um, increasingly is that English has become something of a lingua franca. It's, it's become something where, you know, if a Japanese guy is talking to a Swedish person, mm -hmm. they're going to be speaking English. Um, neither is speaking in the first language. Um, but what we see around the world now is, is a developing competence to do even quite tech technical and specialized work in, in English, just using English as an instrument. And, and this is the way I see it now. You know, there are two kinds of motivation in language learning. There's the, um, the instrumental and the integrative. Um, in the past, right, when you had a world of empire and you had the British, you know, um, soldiers everywhere in the world and the churches and the, yeah. and the administrative uh, infrastructure in places like India and South Africa and, and in, English was spread in this. It was almost used as an um, integrative tool where people wanted to become part of that community. They, they would learn English because they wanted to rise maybe in, in medicine or law um, by becoming part of the Commonwealth or something like this. But I think that's changed. And I think we're in this post-colonial space now, which is interesting where certainly in Germany, and um, I've seen it around the world, where English is just a tool like any other tool. So um, just like learning PowerPoint or learning Excel, um, English is just a tool to get stuff done in the world. Um, so to answer your question, what I would do is establish a kind of benchmark level. And whether that's A2 or B1, so a sort of pre-intermediate or an intermediate level, just a, a basis level. And then I would try and bring everybody up to that baseline, right? And then the next thing to do is basically address the, um, the communication um, goals and, and, and have some do's and don'ts and rules around how we communicate. Um, look at the different channels that are being used um, and bring in a culture where everybody has a voice, right? So that they all have a sort of benchmark level of this language, which could be neutral in value, but just as a tool. And then to try and encourage that. And uh, this is something... I've done at LearnShip. It's something I've, I've done before. And it, it's part of my job is to consult HR people with exactly that headache. You know? I mean, one, one classic example is when people outsource engineering to India, for example. Yeah. Um, and you'll find in many of those cases that the, the Indian developers actually have better English than the companies who are outsourcing the, the work. Yeah. Um, 
but they're different. Yeah, they work differently. They have different senses of how to run projects, how to communicate. So yeah. a lot of that soft, intangible sort of stuff is really affecting the, the bottom line and the dollars and cents. And that's where you have to get involved and find out uh, through you know, mass assessment, for example. You, you just check where everybody is, hmm. establish a benchmark, establish a program, get everybody up to the same level, and then you can yeah. go from Thank you. Thank you so much for that, Robert, because I think upskilling is really important. You spoke about upskilling, right? So I think uh, we need to understand what is that works well. We need to start from the base and that's where we can have this going. So uh, this is something personally I have battled a lot. Uh, but then I think that's something I'm trying to learn, especially where very nice day, right? In India, you would have multiple languages. So that's the reason I was really curious to know how do you actually handle things? So. Uh, really impressed well, what, what I've seen in India myself is that English gets used, right? So if you have yeah. guys from the north of India and they're, they're working um, in the south, so they, they may not be a common language. Uh, you know, the guy may be a Hindu speaker, the other one's a Tamil. Yeah. Um, and you have other guys from other regions with other languages. Right. And it's it's a kind of English that develops um, and it, it uses some words from other languages, but people solve the problem. I think as a um, communication consultant, it's it's to establish exactly what's going on there, yeah. um, and then to use the strengths of the group, you know, um, to to solve the puzzle of the international communication. Yeah, yeah. that's that's super good to hear, and uh, I'm sure that now everyone is very much communicative, and English is like a language, go-to language for everyone. So I hope that we have this communication even expand. I think it's it's very much onto the Europe region that I have seen certain challenges where you would you would not even get to hear English. So that's where I have faced challenges in my past. But then I'm really excited by whatever uh, views you have on the languages and communication. That's something really different. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, even in places like Brazil and China. Yeah. Because if you go back 20, 30 years, you, mm -hmm. you do see a world where there's a lot of people who are absolute beginners who have never you know, used English or anything, but that, that world is disappearing um, yeah. because of government policies in, in, in primary education. So I think, you know, you, you've got a situation now where many high school graduates are coming out with sort of a pre-intermediate level. Um, so mm -hmm. it's, it's a different world um, mm -hmm. that we, we live with now. That, that's definitely true. Thank you so much for that, Robert. Now, okay, so coming back uh, to like a final question that I have from my side, right? And that's personally very close to me. So I'm bound to ask you that question. Now that you're from South Africa, okay? Being a cricket fan, I, I, I believe everyone would, would be a cricket fan. So I, in India, people are literally crazy and I'm pretty sure that because you're from South Africa, that's something which is definitely going to be there in the plant. And of course, you must have played cricket in your childhood. I'm not sure if that's true, but I believe. Yeah. Uh, yes, no, absolutely. So I... Um... I, I was educated in South Africa and I, I played uh, cricket in the street with the, with the guys in my neighborhood. I played um, for my school. I think I was the captain of the under 10 B team. I remember Ooh. it was a very proud moment in, in, <laughs> in my cricket career. <laughs> but yeah, I love the game. And I grew up um, attending five-day test matches at St. George's Park. I uh, saw some of the greats. I saw Brian Lara, Sachin Tendulkar, Kofi Ambrose, these guys. Uh, Shane Warne. And, uh, somewhere I have the, um, a little book with their autographs in. So, yeah, no, I, I love cricket very much. I miss it because in Germany, obviously, it's not a, a major yeah. sport. Mm -hmm. um, I still follow, um, you know, on the live ticker and um, just when there are matches on. But, uh, mm -hmm. yeah, um, great game. Okay. So, I have one question for there. Okay. So, that's something just trying to link it with uh, what you do currently. So, what's that one thing you feel is important for communicating well? amongst the team members in the organization, right? When we talk about the corporate 
and in the cricket team so if i have to say it it's on and off the field so how do you feel that the communication is different and maybe what's that that you see in common between these two things yeah um i i think that there are a lot of parallels between um sport and um business success i i think that um within team mm-hmm. the roles and responsibilities have to be very varied and i think that that's very similar within the cricket team so yeah. you don't need the fielders challenging the captain's decision mm-hmm. about whether to come in yeah and uh, or or to fall back a few meters um or when to rotate bowlers and things like that so i think th- there's got to be a balance between people giving input and and having feedback from the team because there are certain good perspectives that that you can gain from asking people um but at the end of the day you have to have a cohesive unit so i think that um the roles responsibilities and the um respect for structure yeah um yeah that that's something that that ties together good sport um teams and and good business team you spoke so well about this robert because i feel whenever even we do something good together as a team right so it's always said that we were a good sport so i think it yeah. has a lot to do with uh, the cricket or in general any sport right i think the team bonding uh, is something it has got a very bigger role even in the organization and everywhere now so if you have a couple of superstars but their yeah. behavior is bad and they're toxic uh mm-hmm. it can sink the performance of the entire team yeah um so i'm you know south african maybe a little um old school in that regard but i i don't like that behavior and and i like my team to be kind of just humble modest and uh to to work for each other yeah and i think that that requires um strong communication in my team at learnship actually yeah. i've got something like 11 cultures i have people from russia from china from brazil um we've got people from portugal spain uh, germany ireland um really from all over uh-huh. and the way i deal with that is to say look we we have our own culture here in in the team mm-hmm. and we spoke explicitly about it we put our values down on paper and we try and live according to them yeah uh, we have open discussions everybody's allowed to speak but at the end of the day the person who carries the responsibility makes the call <laughs> and it's <laughs> that's that's how we go about it um but i see it very much like like leading a sports team yeah that's that's brilliant and super good to hear from you someone who has played cricket uh, in the childhood i am pretty sure you are now well versed with how team works in uh, corporate as well as in the cricket so okay so with that we are actually moving to our final segment of the podcast and that's my personal favorite that's the rapid fire round okay so here you are yeah. caught <laughs> So uh so you can brace yourself uh before I'm going to ask you the first question since you love cricket so much and we, I think that's something we have this very much in common uh and I am sure that all the listeners would also love to hear this one so who is your favorite cricketer and why yeah i think of the the current players um there's a guy who plays for south africa called quinton de kock Yeah, yeah. And I like this guy. Uh, he he basically um he's 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 positive. Uh he's assertive, he takes risks, and I think he lifts the people around him. Um and he's just obviously just a great cricketer, so great um great eye, um yeah. very fast reactions. Um Absolutely. and he he he's innovative. He does things which are surprising and I I like to watch him. even i love watching watching him and i think uh, when i talk about cricketers there have been few cricketers i have always loved and even i've watched since my childhood um, i love ab de villiers as well and okay. it, it's so great to see you know how he's so calm yet he just finishes his job and it's just like he alone kind of battles with the with one of the team so it's 
he was, I mean, probably the most naturally talented yeah, yeah. sportsman I've seen in my life. I, so the, the sense of timing um, with a guy like that, yeah. he looks like he has more time than everybody else. Yeah. Um, and he'll do so, so smoothly. Yeah. 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 No, very impressive. Uh, and it's, he's obviously um, yeah, retired or he's not playing the international game now, but uh, yeah, I think we'll miss him. Yeah. Absolutely. I, even, I, I think all of our Indian fans would also agree uh, with ABD Villiers. And of course, Crankton Krink, Dukog is something we always love watching. So that's on. Like, okay, so moving on to the second question. Uh, so since you were a teacher and before, before joining the corporate, so if given a chance, uh, what would you like to teach the young souls? I think <laughs> it's going to sound very boring and old-fashioned, but I, I think... Um, Certain things are worthwhile, even if they're not easy. Uh-huh. And we live in a world now where everything is kind of relevant for two minutes or one minute and yeah. people's attention spans are getting shorter and people don't read books anymore and they won't watch a video if it's more than two minutes. And I, I think um, my advice to young people is to try and recover some of that discipline and rigor that, that the previous generations yeah. had because they're going to need it. Um, and I, I think that's, that's my message. I have two children and I... I tried to bring them up in this way <laughs> because I think the world is, is, is very much driven on this shallow form of engagement I spoke about earlier. Yeah. You know, you get rewards, little lights come on and, and you get some kind of a digital picture or something, but they're very shallow rewards. And I think the deep rewards come from, from hard work. Yeah. And um, that's my advice for you. That, that was super good. And uh, even when I see uh, the young generation, right, even my brother, when I look through, right, I feel things have changed a lot. Right. Uh, so not just about generation, but if I look like four years back, how things were when we joined, right? And now when I look yeah. things, so it has definitely changed a lot. And I think we need to really go back to the basics, like you mentioned, and actually inculcate some of those qualities over again. So yeah, I think a that really nice point. We, we need to be resilient. And, you know, there's war in the world and pandemics and um, technological changes is, is, is past. And, and humans are experiencing psychological strain. And they need to be tough now and, and you need to have midterm and longer term goals and, and to hold together with your community and group. And these are old strengths, old things that, you know, we, we've forgotten, but we need. Absolutely. Absolutely. Cannot agree uh, more in that aspect. Okay. So I have one more question for you. So what's the most funniest moment that you remember from your childhood? Now, this is going to be interesting because I, I see you as a very learned and, you know, like all things in in certain pattern. Now, I would really love to know that funny moment of yours from your childhood. I was, yeah. Um, <laughs> there's a story that my mother tells when um, people are there and it's always embarrassing for me, but I'll tell yeah. you about it anyway. So I, <laughs> when I was, I, I grew up, um, I was born in South Africa, but we moved to mm-hmm. England. Uh, my dad got a job in, in, in Birmingham and, and we moved as a family and um, we were living in this farmhouse. We didn't have a house yet. We just got there. And apparently I had gone to the fridge and I must've been four years old uh, and I'd eaten this whole block of butter for some reason. I don't know. <laughs> and so they, they found me and the, the sort of empty butter thing is like next to me and there's like butter on my face and stuff. So it's obviously me. right? And they asked me who did it. And I'm like, oh, no idea. And, and then I said, no, I, th- I think I know. Yeah. There was this mouse. right? And, and he's gone now. So you'll never see him, but that's what it was. And I, so my mom tells the story quite often. And yeah. So. And, and that brings story. me to that curiosity. So you still have butter or that was the only last time you had butter? <laughs> I don't even like it that much. I don't know what happened. 
I think I must have just got like that's that's something about my personality. Maybe I've started doing it and I just kept going until it was finished, kind of thing. <laughs> I suppose that's what happened. And hadn't realized like how insane the situation was until the end. But uh, yeah, that's a small child Rob story for you. This is really hilarious, and I mean that's that's really funny uh, to hear from you and to hear from you actually. I think uh, you sharing your childhood story anyhow is exciting. uh because you come with so much you know like so much discipline so i was really keen to put <laughs> this part from you not at 4 years old yeah. <laughs> okay so coming to our last question that i have for you in the rapid fire round so what do you like to read the most and again this is again tricky because i know you write a lot so what is that you like to read the most i am pretty sure every each one of our listeners would be keen to know so i have different interests i it's my bookshelf or one of the bookshelves behind me but um i love science fiction right oh. so I, i really enjoy science fiction um i also enjoy uh, spy novels so john le carre and, uh-huh. and that sort of stuff i'm really interested um i like geopolitical analysis um so I'm fascinated by that so science fiction geopolitical analysis spy fiction and then yeah like obviously i read about management business and uh, applied linguistics and and those sorts of things but that's more like work reading but if it's just for myself actually what i'm reading right now is the the witcher books by sapkowski i don't know if you know the witcher um geralt of rivia no i am really bad at reading i think you are actually <laughs> giving me that motivation that i should sit with a book so there's a there's the netflix series um and it's um it's quite good yeah so The Witcher is basically mm-hmm. um a series it's it's a book series written by a Polish writer mm-hmm. it's based on slavic fairy tales right from from the east and it's quite dark mm-hmm. and really quite well written and and they made a very good netflix series i think they've made two uh, two seasons now so far but i'm reading the books at the moment okay now i'm going to read that and uh, so that the next time when we interact i definitely have something okay. to answer when you question me this <laughs> okay <laughs> but that's that's great to hear from you and i think we this brings us to the end of the yet another episode of digital adoption show thank you so much robert for doing it like it has been amazing hosting you but before we close off i'm pretty sure that our listeners would have a lot of questions for you and uh, even after listening to this podcast right so uh, could you please let us know how they can reach out to you in case they have any more questions from this podcast uh, yes of course um so you know i think linkedin is probably the best um mm-hmm. it, it's the social media channel that i use the most so i'm i'm robert sabo i'm um the uh, vp learning sciences at at learnship you can find me through the search function on linkedin um send me a direct message i will answer um and if you send me an uh, invitation to connect I, i will connect um and it's yeah it's always nice basically to have these conversations about what i do because i really enjoy it. and i don't ever turn away an opportunity to to have those discussions so that's probably the best thank you so much robert i think thank you so much for telling i'm going to be the first person to spam your linkedin now with <laughs> a lot of questions <laughs> cool. but truly it has been a pleasure listening to you uh, i think all of our listeners would also agree because it was really exciting we had cricket we had literature we had everything combined and also thank you uh, to everyone who was listening to the podcast and uh, stay tuned to the digital adoption show for more content and some really incredible speakers like we had robert today so i think that's all i had from my side and have a great one everyone thank you so much thank you shreya